0: So good to be with you today as we uh, kick off a new series for this month called Purify. And we are going to be focusing on the verses that were just on the screen, which is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and se- through 17, if you want to begin making your way there. This idea of Purify, um, I want to sort of connect it to where we've been already in January and where we're heading in March. Uh, Last month we spent time talking about what does it look like to make commitments. And one of those commitments being spiritually healthy families, spiritually healthy leaders. And I believe that what we're going to look at through this series about being purified, um, this idea of the world versus the love of the Father is an important step. We will not be spiritually healthy people if we love the world. That's what we're going to see over the next few weeks, and then where we're heading in March is uh, Easter is a little bit early this year, and so all five Sundays in March will be our Easter series. And so this is an opportunity for us to purify and prepare ourselves as we get ready to head into the Easter season. This idea of purify—if um, you've ever been uh, to a Uh, a foreign country, particularly maybe on a mission trip, you understand how important purified water can be. I've been on a couple of trips into some places where we were told, do not drink the water. You need to have purified water or bottled water or water that came in a bag in some places. And I have been one that made a simple mistake out of just habit, putting my toothbrush under the tap water and just unassumingly using that water to brush my teeth and oh how I wish I had used purified water. See, it matters when something is not pure. And as we look this morning, we're going to take a look at how can we purify our affections, those things that we have passion for and are drawn to. And so 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, this is what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he gives three examples, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, these are not from the Father, but as from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. And as we consider what John is writing, First John is a letter in which... Uh, John, one of the apostles, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close friends, is writing to the church and over and over throughout the course of this little letter, he is trying to make sure that his readers understand that they will know that they belong to Christ. I mean, he goes through things like, um, if you do not love your brother, then the love of the father must not be in you. So if there is hatred, then... You need to look out, and he he says things like, if you say that you have no sin, you've got no sin problem, he says, either you're a liar or you're making God a liar, and the truth is not in you. And then he comes to this passage and says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so as we walk through this series over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the devastating consequence of loving the world. And my prayer is twofold, that one, for believers here, those who are in Christ, that we would be purified if we have allowed any of our affections to begin to be in sync and in connection with those things that are within the world. And for those who are not believers, those who are not yet in Christ, that God would use this series to help you see that following Christ, the love of the Father, is so much more valuable than anything that the world has to offer. And so with that, I'm going to look this morning at three sort of points about examining our affections. Number one from this passage, we see that loving God and loving the world are incompatible. It is not possible for us to do both. I mean, he says it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And then he gives this statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it is an impossibility. It is incompatible. It is oil and water. It is cats and dogs. It is toothpaste and orange juice. They are in compatible to have at the same time. And yet many try to play a game where we will flirt with the world all week and then try to make our commitment to God last the weekend on Sunday. And yet it is incompatible for us to love the two. Now here is a key term, in case you're not aware of this. when John says the world in this context, what he means is the attitudes, the values, and the spiritually evil systems that oppose God. The word "world shows up a lot in Scripture, and sometimes it might refer to um, humanity. For instance, John 3:16, "For God so loved." The world. He's talking about the people within the world. John is not saying don't love people when he says do not love the world or the things in the world. Sometimes the word world actually means the physical created earth that we live on. And John is not saying don't love our earth. He's, in fact, the Psalms say look about at how creation is screaming. At the truth of God's existence and how good he is. But there's a third way that the scripture uses the world, and that is what I just said. It reflects the attitudes and the spiritually evil systems that oppose God. Paul would say it this way, our enemy is not flesh and bone, but is the evil principalities. It, it is Satan and his Influence. It are these things that oppose a holy God. And so when we talk about do not love the world nor the things in the world, we're talking specifically about those things that oppose God in our reality. And so it is incompatible for us to love both God and those things that oppose God. God. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You will either love the one and then hate the other. John would have heard Jesus say that and then he comes in and writes this to say, you want to know that you belong to Christ? Check your affections. Do you love God or do you love the things of the world which lead us to the second point habitually loving the things in the world is evidence that God's love is not present in a person now hear me the whole statement is important habitually loving the things in the world is evidence that God's love is not present in a person That word habitually is a really important word there. We're going to look a little bit more at that next week as we sort of unpack this verse a little bit more uh, by looking at Galatians chapter 5. But there's this idea of those who practice the works of the flesh versus have born in them the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not suggesting that if you on occasion have a stumbling into the sins of the world that the love of the Father is not in you. What John is saying is, over the course of your life, do you love the things of the world in a regular, habitual basis? Uh, You may have heard it said, if anyone were to try to convict you in a court of law that you belong to Christ, would there be enough evidence to actually convict you of following Christ or is it in name only hear me beloved in this room and watching online we live in what some consider the belt buckle of the bible belt which means this one The great thing about that is that there is a lot of believers around us and a lot of people who love the Lord and a lot of like-minded people in morality and trying to understand who God is and live for him. But the danger is this, is that so many think that they belong to Christ simply because they are Texan. Understand, when you get to the pearly gates, there's no birth certificate check about were you Texan. The only thing that matters was was the love of God in your heart because you were washed by the blood of Jesus. I don't care what you fill out on a census form in terms of preferred religion. If you love the world and the things of the world, John is simply saying, I'm concerned for you because the love of the Father is not in you. And so this morning here, it's not one time where I struggle with this. Here's one sort of telltale. Can you commit sin and have no regard for how it impacted the heavenly Father? See, Paul also wrote and he said, There's a difference between worldly grief and godly grief. It's the difference between saying, I'm sorry I got caught, and saying, God, I have offended your holiness. When you sin, is there any check within you that says, Oh God, what have I done? And so in this passage, he's going to suggest, John is going to give sort of three broad categories of what he means when he says don't love the world nor the things in the world. What are these things? Here's three broad categories he uses um, to describe the ways that um, we are incited to sin. Number one, the cravings of the flesh. Cravings of the flesh. Or the lust. Of the flesh, depending on how your translation puts it, uh, the word craving is actually a really good translation. Um, we all understand what it means to have a craving towards something. When when I lived in Mississippi, I know we just got a Dunkin' Donuts, but when I lived there, we got a Krispy Kreme, and when I would drive by and see the hot donut light on. Something like Pavlov's law began to happen, salivate, a craving, the desire to pull in. You understand what a craving is, right? Did you know, I saw this um, a number of years ago, that there are certain people who have cravings for things that are not actually food. They have a desire to eat things that are not food. I may be mispronouncing it, but the condition is called pica, P-I-C-A. And here are a couple, and they range. This is sort of a very mild one. Some of you in this room may have this one. Um, it's, and, I, again, I apologize if I mispronounce these official terms. Um, but pagophagia is the craving for ice. Craving for ice, like, to just be like, I've got to have That's sort of on the mild. Some of you are like, yeah, I've kind of got that one. Please do not raise your hand if you've got any of the other two examples I'm (laughs) going to share. But maybe please see someone about it. Number two, a pika, a craving called geophagia, is the desire and a craving to eat soil, clay, or chalk. Meaning when you see a stick of chalk, you're thinking, that's basically a pixie stick. I'll have two of those. <laughs> and it's the desire to consume where you're out there gardening and it's like one for the succulent, one for me. I mean, I, I don't know what that looks like, but there is an unnatural craving for a non-food item to eat food or to eat soil, clay, or chalk. And There's many I could list. I promise these are the most tame. The third one I'll give you is this for Pika is trichophagia. I'll be quick on this one. I don't want to lose anybody. But it is the unnatural craving to eat hair. And so you might be getting a haircut and all the clippings on the ground. You're like, can I get a little doggy bag or, you know, whatever that may be. But (laughs) look, I think for the majority of us, we understand that pica is a craving for something that is non-food that is not good for us, and yet people are desiring to eat it. And what, what John is saying is that because of the flesh, the fallen nature, you and I have a pica craving to satisfy urges of the flesh. And it is as, it is as dangerous for us as eating hair or clay or glass Or whatever else is a non-food item that people crave to eat. And John says, beware the things in the world, the cravings or the lust of the flesh. These are those sensual desires, these hedonistic, just live by our urges without any self-control. And we live in a culture that is more and more saying again the attitude and the systems that are against our holy God, that are saying to you and me, do not suppress your urges, crave them, satisfy them. And John says, do not love those things. I heard a preacher one time say, and I think this is a great example, when you talk about these lusts and cravings of the flesh, these things that are outside God's design for sex. Like God designed sex to be between a married man and woman. End of list. End of list. And it is to say that fire, like actual fire is a good thing when it's in the hearth. But it's a dangerous thing when you move it three feet outside the hearth to the living room carpet. And God is saying, I have designed sex a good thing. It is a gift from God in the hearth. Marriage between a man and a woman. Anything else moves that into the center of the room as we allow our urges and the lust of the flesh to take hold. And it is damaging and it will burn the house down. Beware not to love the world nor the things in the world. The second area is not only the cravings of the flesh, but the cravings or the lust of the eyes. What is meant here is John is simply saying those things like covetousness or envy, those things that say, I deserve more Than what someone else has, or better put, I deserve more than what God has simply provided for me. And in the lust of our eyes, we begin to want things with greed and with envy and with covetousness. And that can be the whole spectrum of things from someone's spouse to their car to their house to their lifestyle to their personality. We can be envious, oh, I wish I had those physical features or I wish that I had that jovial personality or I wish I had the financial sense of that person. Whatever it is, the lust of the eyes looks and says, I am not satisfied, I want more. And God says, do not love the world nor the things in the world for when we look and say, I want more than God has given me, We are saying, my God is not a sufficient supplier of my need. And it is an affront to our God. The third thing is this. Boasting in one's lifestyle or the pride of life. You can see it here. Sins that seek to elevate self over others and seek to elevate self even over God. This is idolatry. And to be honest, it is when we make ourselves the God. (laughs) And we say, because of what I have, or because of who I am, I have entitlement to whatever I want. I serve me. You, You might hear things in our culture that say things like this a devilish lie. Follow your heart. Man, it just you see it on a mug, and it just seems like, woo, yeah, follow your heart. Except that God's word has said our hearts cannot be trusted; they are deceptively wicked. And God said, I must remove your heart of flesh and put—I mean, a heart of stone—and put into you a heart of flesh. You cannot follow your own heart; it will lead you to boasting and self-idolization. Every single time there are some who would argue that these three things the boastful pride of life the lust of the flesh lust of the eyes um, can be seen in the garden of eden in satan's temptation and he would there are those that would say that it was the lust of the eyes look at how good the fruit is that it's the boastful pride of life Don't you want to be like God And the lust of the flesh? Don't you have an urge to do the one thing you were told not to do? And yet over and over that same wily devil keeps playing the same cards over and over. And John is saying, do not love the world nor the things in the world. For if you love the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And he's saying, Oh, beloved, I'm writing this so that you will know where you stand with God. The third thing this morning is this. Loving the world is a ticket on a sinking ship, but loving God is your lifeboat. Now that's a metaphor that I'm just putting in here to make my illustration make sense. But you can see it right here in verse 17, which says this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. To love the world is to get on the Titanic But to love God is to be able to receive a life raft, to live for eternity. See, we get so sucked in and so trapped into thinking as a prisoner of the moment that I must give in to this urge or I I see this and I must have that or people should respect me, flesh, eyes, pride. And in a moment, we lose sight of eternity and we go, I will board the sinking ship. It it reminds me, the the illustration I wanted to tell you is, um, some of you may have been here, um, but our family on Jennifer's side of the family, this is years ago, like maybe 12, 13 more years ago. Her family took some of us... um, on a trip to some places in Europe where they had some roots and some history. And one of the places we ended up going was Stockholm, Sweden. And we went to a museum of the ship, the Vasa, V-A-S-A. And when we went to see this ship, I was stunned. I mean, it's a fully preserved ship from like 1628 that sunk. And here's what's the story of the Vasa it was the pride of the Swedish king to send out this ship to ornate, make it ornate, to make it the the flagship of his armada, and he was so proud of it, highly decorated, highly ornate, heavenly weaponized in the harbor. They send it out to join the armada, and it made it 1,400 yards and sank and sank and sat there until about the 1950s when some people came and it was heavily preserved and now it sits in a museum and I would tell you that when we say I will love the world to give in to my hedonistic urges or to go after the lust of my eyes or to boast in myself you have boarded The ship Vasa with all of its arrogance and pride and it looks ornate and the word says sin looks great for a season and then 1,400 yards from the harbor, it sinks. When we love the world and the things of the world, they are trying to sell a vision of life and what God says is it will sink every time. But God provides a life raft because every one of us, myself included, we were born bent to love the world and the things in the world. If not for God so loving the world and sending Jesus, we all would be sinking on that ship. Which leads me to the insight here. Only Jesus can provide us with eternal life. In this same letter as Paul, I mean as John begins to conclude it, all these things that he's trying to teach them. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he says this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John is writing this to say, I want you to know that you belong to Christ. One of many points he makes is if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. But he concludes by saying, at the end of the day, do you have the Son? S-O-N. Do you have Jesus? Because if you have Jesus, you have life. And anyone who does not have the son does not have life. I'm going to invite Stacy and his team to come on up. I know this is sort of abbreviated, but I just feel like that's all that I needed to share this morning from God's word. I think it's pretty clear. And so I would say this as they begin to sing, if you, again, are a believer here this morning and you have found yourself growing in affection towards the things of the world, would you repent? Would you cry out to God and say, forgive me for the areas that I've allowed my affections to love the things of the world? We live in a confusing world, mixed messages. God, thank you for bringing me truth that I can repent. And if you're here this morning and you have never put faith in Christ, you you could not say, I have the Son, the love of the Father is in me, then I just want to offer you the opportunity this morning. I, I believe we sang about it moments ago that the Holy Spirit would manifest his presence in this place. And if you feel a draw to Christ right now and to turn from the things of the world, That is that Holy Spirit we sang about drawing you. And I would encourage you as we sing this song, I'll be standing up here. You can come down and see me. You can go to the next step desk after the service and talk to somebody. Or if you came here with another believer, they can help you know what it is to go from death to life by having the Son. And let us not love the world nor the things in the world, but to love Christ. Father, thank you that you loved us enough to get us off the sinking ship by sending Christ that we may have life. God, we ask, forgive us for when we get confused and we begin to allow our affections to be led by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and our boastful pride in life. Forgive us, God. First John also tells us that when we confess that, that you are faithful to forgive us all our sin. And, Father, may we leave this place knowing who we belong to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.